Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Football today. That sounded like Nick Saban coaching up that Alabama defense. I keep hearing Bobby Boucher whenever no, a producer comes could, They could head. be like Bobby Boucher if Trevor boy. Lawrence gets hot. I know Alabama fans will hate me for Sean that comment. does a heck of a Bobby Boucher he impression. He does. He, get, he gets me all pumped up. I want to run through the, the brick wall in a, <laughs> in a couple of minutes. But when you look at this Alabama defense giving up 120 rushing yards per game, they're giving up 187 passing yards. To opposing offenses, they're plus eight in turnover margin. You mentioned in the last segment, Rich, they're not the same dominant defensive unit that we've seen in years past with guys like Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart at the helm. This is the worst rushing defense in Alabama history since prior to 2009. Now, you're talking about teams that for years led FBS in terms of rush defense, Right around 60, 65 yards. Uh, maybe they got up to maybe 90, 92. This 120 yards per game is not just on the defense. It's because of the up-tempo maybe with Tua and the ability to stretch defenses that they're just scoring so quickly that That's team is coming back out on the field for multiple plays. Yeah, the defense has less rest than it did in the past. Maybe time of possession is not something they're dominating as much in the past. I, I, I think this defense can be run on. There is one exception. Uh, to me, the best player in this game, either side of the ball, either team is Quinn and Williams. And, and this, is, this is really a testament to Alabama football because – this time last year, Joe, we weren't talking about yeah. Quinn and Williams. No, we that, were talking about other guys. We were talking about other guys. <laughs> so, you know, and, and next year, we'll be talking about other guys that maybe we're not talking about now. Alan, we, 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 it just Every it doesn't matter. Year, Every it's, year, it's a new star. Quinn and Williams is one of those defensive linemen that just puts offensive linemen on skates. Uh, he gets off the snap so fast. He has violent hands. His ability to cause disruption, that, for me, is going to be the biggest problem for the Clemson offense. If they can contain number 92, they have a shot to be very successful offensively. And I'm glad you said that because we were going to talk about the, the best NFL draft choice. I think Jonah Williams may be the biggest NFL yeah. draft choice. He will line up against Clinton Williams a little bit. I think that'll be a factor, not just of which guy's the higher draft choice, but in the outcome of this game, because I think he may be the highest draft choice out there on the field today. Offensive linemen don't get the credit. They don't get talked about as much. But you, when it comes to the draft, a guy that can play left tackle, a guy that can protect the quarterback, a guy that can take that first step backwards like he can is so critical. And if he can turn out to be the first-round draft pick that many think he will be the first guy picked from this game. Um, That'll do a lot to take care of the second. Uh, And Quinlan, if he can do something to slow that down, because that's NFL scouts want to see you play against the best talent. That'll be the that'll be the matchup they watch all day if they can get it. Which is a great point. NFL scouts will be obviously yeah. in attendance in Salivating Santa Clara. This. It's great because because these are the types of games that you want to see a kid elevate the level of his play. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that coach brought up Jonah Williams because Jonah Williams is a kid from California. Yeah. And that this is also testament to Nick's ability. He wants a kid bad enough. He can go out as far as California and bring him to Tuscaloosa, Yeah, and that's a great point. I think when you look at this matchup in terms of their defense, if you're Clemson, any pitch, any, any swing pass in the perimeter, any slant, any hitch, take that piece of the game plan, if it's on uh, a piece of paper, if it's on a... Put it in the fireplace. Throw throw it in the fireplace and take that iPad and burn it or whatever because, Coach, I've seen offensive coordinators attack Alabama... Sideline to sideline, side because it's the safe play. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, even if you throw an incompletion, you have to loosen them up to think pass on first and second down. Now, Clemson, from a, a schematic standpoint and a personnel standpoint, 
can play with Alabama straight up, but lesser teams can't. So that's why from a game plan perspective, you need to think outside the box and you need to be aggressive. But even if you're Clemson, you saw what it did last year in terms of handcuffing the offense, putting them in long third down situations. Well, yeah, yeah, and you talk about attacking the outside. That's why you see this bubble or hitch screen so much on the outside. I hate it. The qu- I, I, because all they're doing, though, is trying to loosen up the middle. Because if you think of seven people in the box, you think of outside linebackers, are they leaning toward the inside of the line or are they leaning toward the outside receivers? That leaning is all you need to block one of those guys with an angle. But you've got to get the ball outside very quickly enough time to open up the middle. I think that's going to be important with the type of defense they've got is to get that ball out there with a quick pop, get those outside linebackers having to run outside away from the ball as opposed to taking, you know, on the snap of the ball, are their first steps one or two steps toward the ball or are their first steps one or two steps out? That's the difference a lot of times in making your inside game work. Yeah, we talked about it last week in terms of having that quarterback in the secondary. Eddie Jackson a few years ago, Minka Fitzpatrick. We, I still don't see it with Thompson in close, that group. Close with Thompson. Close, close, but... I, I, I just not feel, enough experience. I don't feel like Joe. he's as versatile yeah. as Minka was. Uh, no, I, I, that, that bar's Jackson. pretty high. That bar's pretty high. Or Jackson, though. I, I think if Deontay Jackson Thompson, can play Corden, right? If, if Tom, yeah, if he had to. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Deontay Thompson can. No, I, I think he's strictly a safety, yeah. but extraordinarily instinctive. I mean, this to me is a vintage. Alabama defensive player, super smart, high football IQ, anticipates very well, doesn't have the coverage skills and the backpedal to be a corner of the way an Eddie Jackson or a Minka can sort of, you know, uh, uh, freelance in those positions. But I I think if uh, Deontay Thompson returned next year, which I don't think he will, if he returned to school next year, I think he could develop into that type of a player. I think it's possible. One stat I wanted to throw out, I know stats get a little bit overstated, but sometimes you have to dig a little bit deep. In terms of pass plays of 20 or more yards this year, Alabama's secondary, 73rd in the nation. They've allowed 43. It reminds me a little bit of Ohio State. Ohio State, great athletes, former four-star, five-star kids, Jordan Fuller and the like, Jeffrey Akuda. Give up a lot of big plays. Alabama the same way. I I, I think Clemson is going to land some blows on deep balls uh, a couple of times in this game. Coach, can you see, because I think a game plan too is misdirection in terms of you start a sweep, you play action, and then you roll Lawrence out in terms of getting that Alabama defense out of position in terms of waggle routes. Can that be a matchup in terms of backside passes, in terms of an over-aggressive defense? Well, I don't, I, anytime you play a team with talented people that can run fast, you got to remember two steps very fast in the wrong direction are awful good to have. So the faster you are, if your steps are going the wrong way for at least one step, that gives you a chance to get it back. So even if it's only for a five-yard gain, be able to come out and roll out off the backside and get your first downs, get your short yardage, get it down to second and short, you're really helping your football game. The other thing is just a play-action pass where you're vertically attacking these defensive backs at their uh, uh, right at them with your wide receivers. Because the one thing that, that sometimes hurts Alabama, they're not going to change their style of play. They they teach a style of play that can win championships. And sometimes when you got a little less athlete back there at that position or one with less experience, that style of play, that aggressive style of play gets him in trouble. That's why they give up, I think, the deep balls. They're still trying to play Alabama defense with some guys that aren't playing quite at Alabama's level of defense. What's interesting is you look at some of the quarterbacks that they faced this year. This, yeah. by far, in my opinion, is the best quarterback, pure passer. Who, who are Alabama. the better quarterbacks they faced? Well, give me I'm some I'm going to go through, go through the names. Uh, Jawan Pass, week one. Justice, Justice Hanson. Okay. Uh, Justice Hanson, nice, nice quarterback. Well, Oklahoma transfer. Yeah. Allen Mond. You have Drew Locke, Garantano, Joe Burrow, Nikki Fitz, Jared Stidham, Jake Fromm, and Murray. There's some decent quarterbacks, though. Decent? Drew Locke. Drew Locke. Jared yeah, Stidham. But, but here's don't, the thing. don't make NFL rosters, Jake if Fromm. If Drew Locke Listen, maybe Jake, Jake was Fromm. on Clemson's offensive line, maybe. Yeah. You know, but the problem is, is at the point of attack, they don't have enough time to throw passes. Clemson's offensive line can go toe-to-toe with, with right. the defensive front seven of Alabama. So at the point of attack, they're going to give Trevor Lawrence some time. 
Jake Fromm was really good against that Alabama Jake Fromm, defense. Now, that Jake was one Fromm, of the best games of his career. I thought he was super they sharp. They were aggressive on early on yeah. first and second down. They did not run Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb until later in that second half after they established the passing game. Cheney you know, established it on first and second down. You know down. who I want to see show up? Who didn't really show up this year, and I expected. I, you know, who I thought would be Quinn and Williams this year, but wasn't was Raquan Davis. Raquan Davis was supposed to be at the level of a Quinn and Williams yes, this yeah. year, it just didn't get there. So when we talk about NFL potential and making an NFL statement on the flanks, particularly Raquan, but also Isaiah Bugs. Now Isaiah Bugs had a very good year. Raquan did not. Raquan has that enormous body, those huge hands, big wingspan. Just didn't deliver. I wonder if he shows up uh, on Monday night. What's interesting, too, Coach, when you look at the landscape of college football, Rich and I touched on it that with the five wide and the new type of evolution in offense, we're seeing a slow transition to where linebackers might be non-existent in terms of you might have safeties at the linebacker position because of their ability to run sideline to sideline. Yet, you look at both of these teams, they find athletic talent that are also not just good in terms of pass coverage, but in run support, and that's what you need in terms of a front seven, a dominant front seven. Why is it that these two teams can do it, but others can't? Well, I think the evolution uh, started even back to the 90s when we spread offenses out. I know about Derek Brooks at Florida State. These guys start out as safeties. Then after they get a little bit older, they move down to become linebackers. We've seen that at Alabama, at Clemson as well. Um and what happens over the years, they move these guys and change their position in the offseason. Now we've even gone to a different level. We've gone to nickel and dime defenses now where you're actually your secondary guys are playing in the game more than your outside linebackers, at least one of them, to give yourself the type of personnel that's got to play against these offensive players. So really, it's to the point now we're not looking at uh, linebackers that can cover the pass, but but safeties that can play the run when they have to. Uh, and that's kind of what we're looking for now because the, that's the evolution of the game, and that's where we are right now. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, again, I think if you're Clemson, you want to score first, put the pressure on that defense. Again, I think the screen game will be big here. I I think ETN, Feaster, I think they're going to look to spread them wide and then attack them vertically. That's why I think when you look at the rush yards, I think you look at some of these totals in Vegas, very low for that matter in terms of uh, their overall yearly capacity and production. I mean, from a game uh, to game perspective, low totals across the board, I think. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's going to be dictated by the tempo of the game. I mean, uh, if this is a close, hard-fought game, you could see those numbers go over. If if somebody gets out to a, a quick lead, gets off to a big cushion, and has to abandon the run, look more towards the pass. Again, I'll say it. I said it earlier. I, I think this game will hinge less on Damian Harris and and uh, Travis Etienne and more on the quarterbacks. I really think these coaches are confident in their young quarterbacks, one a sophomore, one a true freshman, uh, kids with still limited experience. Even Tua has only yeah. started, what, 12, 13 games yeah. in his entire career. So uh, I think these coaches are confident in their players, love the targets that they have on the outside. And again, I think it plays really well into that philosophy, Joe, because the corners, the defensive backs, very good, but not at the level that we're accustomed to. There's there's no Mackenzie Alexander necessarily on Clemson, and Alabama doesn't have that Minka Fitzpatrick. So I, I think there will be plays to be made in the secondary. And you look at third down defense. Both I mean, Alabama holding opposing offenses 30% on third down. So I think when you look at both of these quarterbacks too, if you put them in long third down situations, force them to read coverage, you have an advantage. So with the freshman quarterback, and he's been unfazed up until this point. But we saw sometimes in terms of his progression in that game against Notre Dame where they got them into long third down situations didn't make the best read so if you're Nick Saban you're that defensive staff how do you affect Trevor Lawrence in terms of this matchup in terms of a defensive game plan I still think you've got to mix up your coverage and disguise a little bit one thing Nick has been a master of of disguising his coverages and not giving a quarterback what he thinks he's going to see after the ball is snapped. He sees something different. And that's one thing you can do a little bit without changing the quality of your of your, of your your uh, talent uh, or the level of talent that a particular player has is give them a little something different uh, to look at so they don't, they don't, they're not comfortable because I don't care what you say, Trevor has not seen everything. He may be poised. He may be uh, uh, relaxed. He may be a very unique talent and that he's very, he just, he just not, he doesn't get flustered. And I think that's what the players talk about him. He's always relaxed. He's always calm, but there's a factor in football. 
once you've seen something once or twice or three times, you've seen things, and when you see it again, you react to what you saw before. He still lacks that inventory of history in his game starts. He lacks a lot of that inventory, and I think that's where Nick Saban's an old secondary coach uh, will have some things he can do with his secondary secondary to make it a little bit uh, more difficult for Trevor. Yeah, I think an interesting you, point. Yeah, it is because turnovers too. We we argue about this all the time. People think, oh, it's just the way the ball bounces. When you're consistently positive in turnover margin each and every year, it's taught yeah. from the defensive staff. And that's the one thing I think when you look at Clemson over the last few years, when they first made it back in 2014, they were negative in turn, turnover margin. And that was the year that Alabama was negative as well. This year, plus eight in turnover margin. Last year, they were plus 14. I mean, that's the one thing Alabama yeah. does better than anybody in big games. They force turnovers Coach against talked about Trevor that. Lawrence The one well. thing I haven't seen, though, if you remember the, the phrase knots came up a couple of years ago for Alabama, non-offensive touchdowns. They yeah. had, I don't remember the number. You, I think it was almost a, a, like they went on a run where I think they, they had they like might eight have had, games where they. Yeah, they had, I think they had double-digit right. uh, non-offensive yeah. touchdowns. Hasn't been that kind of a season. Still taught. Still athletic, but in terms of that disruption to, to turn takeaways into points, I haven't seen that this year from Alabama. Maybe that changes. Maybe that changes against Clemson. Maybe they can disrupt Trevor Lawrence if that does happen. These teams, to me, are so close, guys, that that one play, that one possession that changes, that one non-offensive touchdown, that could be the difference between a victory and a loss. Yeah, I mean, I mean, with these teams, both of them are exceptional at turnover margin. Now, now you're talking, who's going to have two? Who's going to have two instead of one? Who's going to have one instead of none? That may be the factor. It doesn't look like a huge factor in the big scheme of things, but when it comes to a game that's a one-touchdown difference, then one turnover. One one ball that doesn't bounce your way. And getting back to turnovers, I know as a coach, and I've studied this a long time, I think the way the ball bounces is luck. Once balls is knocked out or popped up in the air, it's luck. But people – consistently force the fumble by stripping. They force it by the way they break and get their eyes to the ball. So I think it is coached causing a fumble or causing a turnover. It's pretty lucky when the ball starts bouncing, whether it goes your way or their way. Interesting. Yeah, it should be. Uh, we'll see. That is an 8 o'clock game. When we come back, we'll be talking about some best bowl performances. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, and Terry Bowden live from New York. Keep it where it is. You know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. on college football today, Joe That was Gabe Morenzi bumping us yeah, in. Yeah, I love that. Gabe will be coming on, I think, around 1240 with his best bets. But we were talking all bowl season off the record, Rich and I, about some of our teams. Wake Forest stepped up with Jamie Newman, Army with Kendall. Newman. Hendrick Hopkins, uh, five touchdown runs. I mean, there were some dynamic performances. Matt Rule and Baylor with a gutty win over Vanderbilt. And I'll, I'll credit Mike Leach. I mean, to get off the schneid and yes. win that ball game against a gutty team in Iowa State with Brock Purdy. I mean, they were in a position to get that victory. Uh, I mean, that's just a dynamic performance. Yeah, I, you know what? We talked a lot about it. Um, I, I think the postseason, Joe, is is oftentimes a catapult to next season. Yeah. You can look at it multiple ways. Maybe Kentucky, 
I think was about 2018. You said it too. You know, before the bowl season, you go, I'm looking towards Kentucky. And when the bowl picks came out, we picked, we both picked Penn, Penn State. State. <laughs> I, know. I, thought, I talked myself I, I out of it. McSorley would be the difference. And that defense by, by Stoops stepped yeah. up. I mean, I was very impressed with that. That's a big bowl win for them. Huge. That was a 2018 bowl victory. But there are other programs like... Baylor's win was for 2019. Yeah, I'd be great for the seniors. It's awesome. But I I think certain programs, especially the ones that the trajectory is headed in this direction, I think those bowl victories really go a long way. I love to watch the young players that stand out. The one that we talked about yesterday just uh, off camera was Mohamed Ibrahim, the running back from Minnesota, Mm -hmm. looked like the kind of kid who winds up in places like Columbus and Ann Arbor. Now P.J. Fleck has a young kid, freshman this year, thrust into the situation because Rodney Smith was injured. This kid went for over 200 yards against Georgia Tech and was bound. We talked about low low body strength, right? Leg strength. That kid is a beast below the waist. I think he's going to have a great sophomore season. Coach, as as leading your team to a bowl win back in 2016, and I'll have to add first bowl win in FBS history for Akron, you got the victory by two points over Utah State. How important is that to carry into the offseason, to get the bowl victory for, for a rebuilding program, especially when you're looking to recruit? Yeah, a couple of th- reasons uh, a bowl victory. First of all, getting to a bowl if you're at a, a mid-major level, like like the MAC, uh, where you're playing your three or four non-conference games. Like our non-conference games this year were Nebraska to Northwestern to Iowa State, and at the end, for good measure, we added South Carolina at the end. And so you fight hard to get seven wins. You know, six probably won't get you into a bowl, and so it means a lot to your program. First of all, it gives you a whole three four weeks of practice. To, to now prepare maybe two weeks for an early bowl, but it, it's almost like a spring ball. Now your young guys can practice. And then two, I think it really does prepare the enthusiasm, and excitement of your team. Many of us consider that bowl, the first game of the next year, it gets you into that. So you can't take it just as a reward. You got to be real, real careful because you get blown out. You get in trouble. We mentioned Houston. You look at that score of that game oh, against terrible. army and you don't know what happened entirely, but it wasn't good. And I, 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 I regret that they fired their coach based on that. That, considering he's in a bowl game and had had his team playing what they like they did, but the fact is, it's kind of important. And, and I say Auburn too. You look at the year they're having, and I, I know Coach over there, they're kind of unhappy because if you don't, beat, Alabama's out there. Every time Alabama wins, I know I was the head coach at Auburn. Every time they take their team to a championship, you, you they you they've just put another nail in your coffin over there if you don't get close. And that was a big win for them, uh, just as uh, um, it was a tough loss at Houston. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think for the quarterback position, when you have a young quarterback, we've seen some freshman quarterbacks, Jamie Newman for Wake Forest, step up. The extra weeks of preparation benefited him. A, a quarterback that will probably be mentioned with some of the top quarterbacks in the Big 12, Charlie Brewer. Yeah. The, the weeks of preparation benefited a young quarterback from being able to break down game film, being able to read coverages and prepare. And that's important as well to kickstart a team for the upcoming season. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I know from, from our standpoint, we do this for a living. So our analysis is 365 days a year. A lot of our 2019 analysis began in the postseason. Didn't really have a great chance to watch uh, Zach Wilson, the, the quarterback from BYU. Uh, from BYU, during the regular season. BYU was off our radar. We weren't spending a lot of time. There weren't a lot of marquee games after that big upset of Wisconsin. I don't think we talked about BYU much. But we watched that game against Western Michigan, completes, I think, 18 of 18 passes. Mm-hmm. And we were talking on the phone when that game was going on, and I'm like, man, this kid looks really <laughs> good. So you have a chance to do some advanced scouting during the postseason. One uh, props I want to throw out to you is Virginia. You were on Virginia for much of the season. I liked South Carolina, the Belk Bowl. You were all over Virginia and Bronco Mendenhall. And they come out and they pitch a shutout against Jake Bentley in South Carolina. So, again, a coach in a program that's headed in the right direction, exacerbated by that bowl victory, 28 to nothing over an SEC team. Very impressive. I think I think when you're we're looking at a game or betting on a game or just looking at a game, a lot of a game, you've got to be careful in, pro, in bowl games. 
as to which team is motivated to play and which team is not. It is huge in a bowl game. So many people see bowls as a reward. Others see it as a punishment. Really, we didn't have the year we wanted. That's not the bowl we wanted to go to. It's not Georgia, the right weather. Right? Georgia wasn't ready to play, period. They were not ready to play. South Carolina, I don't think, was ready to play. Even though, they, Virginia, I agree with you there. What a great job he's done there. But they weren't ready to play. Again, Whatever it is, you better you can look and try to look and say which one don't quite look like a game they wanted to be. I remember when I was young, graduate assistant, and you know sometimes when you're a graduate assistant, you can hang around the locker room and the players will kind of let you hang. And I was down at Florida State way back in the '70s, and back then there weren't as many bowls. And if you went to a bowl like above Atlanta, it was a punishment bowl because you live in Florida <laughs> and you play your games in Florida. Right. The last thing you want to do is around Christmas time or New Year's, go play up north outside, you know, Memphis or something. And they would call them the punishment bowls. Uh, but you say you got to watch closely as to which guy. And my dad did a great job of winning gold bowl. That's one of his legacies, I think, is how successful he was in figuring out how to get your kids excited. He never would let them pick the bowl site. That was one of his rules. He'll pick that one, not, not let them pick it. But I think you got to be watching teams because there are a lot of teams they go into bowls and the kids just don't get up and ready to play yeah, a prime and, example for me was you, you mentioned georgia how about michigan oh terrible. i mean michigan the way they Laid finished the season he oh. can't finish that year now no. he loses don brown i mean there's a lot of pressure yeah, on that no team. There, there's a lot of pressure on jim harbaugh yeah. who you know admittedly has elevated that program by every measure since he got yeah, there right he, so he, he he took over a difficult situation oh, from brady hoke and yeah. And, and elevate it quickly. But but then since that point, though, they have sort of plateaued. Yeah. And, and Florida, to Florida and Dan Mullen, that game was a big deal. That sure. was a reward right, for Michigan. Exactly. It might have been a punishment. And Florida comes in looking for that 10th victory. And Dan Mullen thinking, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm going to compete in the SEC East sooner than later than people think. They go out and win 41-15. to 15. That's a huge victory yeah. for the Gators. And I'll, I'll give you props. Best bet for you was Texas A&M. You came out, you nailed it, and the pressure on Jimbo to win that ball game. Because you're, you're being paid $7.5 million. Yeah. You're not being paid to lose ball games. And <laughs> in terms of when, when you look at that type of, uh, I want to say, situation, it used to be, Coach, where, you know, the bowl game, if you're at not playing for a national championship, you could roll the dice a little bit in terms of opening up the playbook. You could throw some reverses. You could do maybe, you know, run some different types of formations that maybe the kids didn't do in the in the regular season. You could you can improvise a little bit more. Well, now we're seeing teams like Texas A&M where, hey, you're being paid $7.5 million, yeah. $75 million over 10 years. Kevin Sumlin couldn't get it done in a bowl game. You better win this bowl game. So we're not seeing so much, so much razzle-dazzle as opposed to just dominate and just put the pedal to the metal. I know it's a sidebar, but having coached in the Western Division of the SEC – can you imagine the, and Jimbo Fisher? He's, he was the first quarterback I ever signed and co- coached for me. For, he was with me 14 years. How about that? And he's huh? got a fantastic contract. But you could imagine going to the West and being expected to win it all because you're getting paid like that. That means you got to beat Alabama, LSU, Auburn, even Mississippi State. And one of these days, Arkansas will get back. Yeah. <laughs> you could yeah. easily be fourth in your own division and yep. be a good football team, but not good enough to, for that salary that they, they ask you to play. And so I think that's it's it's important. Again, bowl, bowl seasons and bowl games are very, very important. Uh, and, and again, you got to watch and see which teams it means a lot, too, because I think that that's a factor in how they're going to play. Yeah, it's interesting, too, in terms of recruiting. We talked about yeah. we talked about uh, Florida with Dan Mullen. When you know you have teams like, well, I, when Mark Rick was there with Miami, uh, he had to go up against him, Charlie Strong. You go up against Lane Kiffin, Butch Davis. Yeah. I, I mean, those are teams, UCF with uh, Willie with Taggart, Hi- yeah. Heupel there. I mean, so there's a lot of in-state talent that you have to recruit against. You better win that bowl game because you might not get the best in-state talent. And for Florida, that's unacceptable. Yeah, I, I think sometimes, Coach, you could tell me if I'm right or wrong. I, I think the the early climate of the next year sometimes is dictated by how you finish. If you're embarrassed in, in the postseason, you know, you kind of sluggishly go into the offseason and maybe a little harder to motivate kids during well, those early morning my, workouts. I'll tell you my example at, at, at Akron. Uh, in the three years prior to this year, we went to our two bowl games in three years. They'd all been to three bowl games in history. And in 1917, we won our division and played the conference championship. We went to a bowl game against Florida Atlantic, and we didn't play well. They beat us 50, maybe 52 to three. But it, it, it ended up putting a negative spin. It was just, and again, it, it happened. 
and uh, and we couldn't stop it. Uh, and it happened, but it put a whole negative spin to have to get through. And our players had done so much in the previous three years. They had the most successful three years in Akron history in those previous three. But that bad loss was one of those that you had to now psychologically as a coach, you got to pull them out of that. You got to say, kids, let's let's move forward from there. You know, and again, I was glad that they did. They came back and beat Northwestern the following year in the second game. But those are hard to overcome if you let yourself get down. And coaches understand better than players. Coaches know what might be on the line. You at Michigan, players may know a lot, and they should know that if they don't beat Ohio State a lot, they better win a lot of ball games because it puts it, it puts it on it puts it puts yeah. on edge, you know. And they hadn't beaten Ohio State a lot lately. <laughs> it's like unrealistic, though, uh, uh, expectations. Yeah. I mean, every team now thinks they can win a national championship. Every team thinks they should be 12-0. and 0, There are very few that legitimately can yes. exactly very exactly few but that, why, why did why did nick saban decide he has to be in a place like to me he's smart and not he's not only an incredibly hard worker and, and, and a well-learned worked his life to work to where he is but he made sure he ended up in places like lsu and alabama because yep. they can give him what he needs to lead a program to the national championship and very few as you said are able to put their assets together on Ohio State and Oklahoma, Southern Cal, if they get the right guy yep. in there, they're going to have the assets and the ability to take their team to a national championship. And I think Texas has that potential. Yes. Texas now, should now, be there. Yeah, Texas can certainly be there. Yeah. They, they have the resources. They have the fan base. They have the facilities. Uh, they have the, the recruiting landscape. Yeah. I mean, it's all there. That and listen, Georgia didn't show up. I think Georgia's the better football team. Yes, yeah. if uh, they play that game ten times, Georgia wins eight to nine times. There's and if no they doubt. play it in the regular season, Correct. I think right. Georgia dominates. But but for Texas, that's a great selling they needed point. To win. They played like for, they for Tom to Herman. Win. Yeah, uh, and you watch the way they jumped around on the field. They played with enthusiasm. Yep. You could just see it on the field. Those guys wanted to win a football game. Well, I think you look at the Big Twelve. I was I was impressed with the Big Twelve yes. overall. I was impressed. Not so much Oklahoma. We knew what we were getting with they Oklahoma. Fought Though at least they in the fought, second half yeah, they right. fought, and, they, yeah. and, and they they made adjustments. But the Big Twelve impressed me. Uh, you have teams, and, and one of the coaches that you coached in uh, at Toledo, Matt Campbell, mm-hmm. has brought a, a, a physical blue collar type of mentality, mm-hmm. and we're seeing it trickle down within the conference. We're seeing a coach uh, in, now for uh, Baylor, Matt Rule, that came from Temple, right. another blue collar guy. We see North Dakota State's head coach now taking over the reins at Kansas State. The blue collar type of mentality, yeah. less miles you, at Kansas, less miles. Do you yeah. think we're seeing a changing of the guard going back to maybe more offense and defense? Defensive line play a la SEC and more outside of this, you know, traditional five wide type of offense that, that well, we're seeing? I, again, everybody that either wants to hire a Nick Saban guy or, or, or try to emulate the style of play, and theirs is still a very physical style of play. Now, whether you can do that with the talent, because I've always felt that if you have a better center than the other guy, a better guard, a better tackle, a better tight end, better fullback, you can overpower them. If you don't, you may have to spread it out. But I think everybody wants to try to emulate the type of offense that that has. And I do think things uh, go in cycles. You know, there's an old saying that the first coach to put the wishbone in won the national championship. The last guy that took it out got fired. And you got to be on the front end of a, of a curve. Football just changes every couple of decades. And you got to be willing to change with the times. And I think very much that could be the case. But we are finding, too, that very, very there are a lot of coaches out there that can really put a lot of points on the board. But their defenses, defenses go to trash. Their defenses end up not becoming anything because there's so much emphasis on hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, offense, 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 that you don't play the kind of game that allows a defense to get pride in the numbers that they want to have. Well, yeah. I, I think all we have to do is look at Alabama and Clemson. Yeah. I mean, these have been the dominant forces for the last five years. Right. These are the two participants Monday night. These are the two teams that have done the best job of creating defensive pressure right. in the entire country. 130 teams. Number one is Clemson. Number two is is Alabama, not just in terms of sacks, but general defensive pressure. So if you want to win a national championship, you still have to play defense on that point and your Big 12 point. Great hire, not good hire, great hire by Oklahoma to pull Alex Grinch away from yes. Ohio State, the defensive Huge. coordinator, one of the rising stars among young defensive coaches. I yeah. think he'll be a head coach before too long. For Lincoln Riley to pull him out of Columbus, remember what he did at Washington yeah. State? The year, I mean, before Tracy Clay's, Alex Grinch was turning Washington State at least into an opportunistic defense. Never going to be great. Yeah. They're never going to be airtight, but they were opportunistic. Yeah. Hercules Mata'afa, those types of fast, undersized defensive linemen, that 
that was Alex Grinch, and now he's in Oklahoma. So Sooners realize if, if we want to go beyond just being Big 12 champs, got to play some degree if you of want to be elite, yep. you need to do it on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but I'm going to say a little bit further. If you're going to be elite, you need to get big people. You need to be able to recruit big people. We talked about this, Joe, during the week. Offensive line as well as defense. Defensive line first, offensive line second. The pool of recruitable athletes out of high school that are talented and big is much smaller than other positions. And so only the elite teams get them. You've got to move into that level. First, where you get elite defensive linemen. And then second, you get elite offensive linemen because there's a very small pool in America of big guys that have the athletic skills of a little guy. And that's really what you're looking for is a big guy that plays like a little guy. Sometimes you'll see a big guy with little old ankles or little old calves. That's because he's a little guy in a big guy's body. Mm. And you really look for that. And that's what Clemson has. That's what Alabama has. And along with a, a mentality of a strong defense, it starts, it's, it remains in the trenches. And in recruiting, somehow you've got to eject, inject yourself into that level, that elite level of schools that can attract that small pool of big athletic football players. Yeah, before Gabe comes on at uh, 1240, I do want to just rapid fire picks for the national championship game. My best pick, we'll, we'll get it on the back end, but I'm looking towards the over in this matchup. I think we're all in agreement of that. Not a best bet for me, but I agree this game will yeah. go over. Yeah, yeah, we, I, I, I do too. I, yeah. I believe it. I mean, we're an over. When we come back, we'll be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci with his best bets and locks for the upcoming weekend of National Championship game. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your Daily Roto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. All right, uh, we are back on college football today. The DailyRoto.com partnership with Data Golf is also back for 2019 with all new premium fantasy golf and betting tools. Check out the all new lineup optimizer with custom settings and advanced grouping. Customizable projections for FanDuel and DraftKings. Ownership projections, PGA, finish probabilities, and simulator outright and top 20 market betting tools, head-to-head -head and three-ball betting tools, PGA Pro Tip, subscriber chat, and more. Go to dailyroto.com, click on Go Premium, choose golf, and enter the promo code GOLF19 for a 10% discount. That's dailyroto.com, click on Go Premium, then click on Golf, and enter the promo code GOLF19 for a 10% discount. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of watching golf, but I can tell you if I had some action on it at Daily Roto, yeah, I, would I, I would be it. more inclined to I watch. I can't watch four hours of it's not. A, it's no, not, but if you're like, uh, I, is, is Ernie Els still a golfer? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Greg Norman's still on the tour. He's on the senior if tour. If I have Ernie Els in the... <laughs> I don't know if Ernie Yells is even a person, to be honest. Yes, he, yes, he is. He, is. he, he, is. he was back okay. in the day. Him, him and him and My favorite uh, golf Freddy tournament, couples. the Chick-fil-A. Have couples. you ever done that, Coach? What's, what's the Chick-fil-A golf tournament? No, I've never done Down coached, in Atlanta. I've in the game, a football game. Yeah, what they do is, is they the pair up coaches. I've been to this event multiple times. They yeah. pair up college football coaches right. like Spurrier with former right. players. right. Steve Spurrier, I think, was with uh, Shannon Sharp. Yeah, he did. That? This was, was a couple Sharp? of years ago, right? It goes every year. Yeah, it goes every year. Every year, down in uh, down outside of Atlanta, my my favorite golf event. Yeah. Seve Ballesteros. Who was, was the uh, Art Stills? Remember him from Kentucky? Yes, I thought he was the. I remember Art Stills? Wasn't Art yeah. Still a uh, Kansas City defensive line? Yes, the first round draft defensive choice. Line. And a heck of a golfer. Famer. Heck of a golfer. Really? I played yeah. against, was that 70s? Yes. I played against Art Steele. Wow. 1970s. West Virginia played. He just got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. I think uh, two Art Steele was? Ago, Art Steele, when, uh, when, when, when your dad was uh, honored, I think he was there as well. I could be wrong. Got to double check Steve that. Steve Spurrier's wife, Jerry. I know Jerry. Shout out. Oh, my God. She, she is. She's an athlete, isn't she? She is an athlete. Like she tennis, was. Right? She plays golf. She was walking. She's like, listen, come on. Come, right. come walk with me. I need someone to walk around the golf course. She was like running circles around me. 
So I'm cu- I'm curious to know before before the game because you said you know you know Coach Spurrier yeah. and his wife very well like so like back in the day Florida Auburn you're sitting there and you always see like they'll show like Lincoln Riley and they'll show Nick talking what what is what is really going like, you, you're talking just small talk right well you know it's it's mostly small talk I it's mean like, Coach Spurrier was not my contemporary he's a little right. bit old you know I was a little bit younger and he wasn't really my dad's total contemporary right. and so but he and I we 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 had a you know, six years we played against each other. We would go on these Nike trips. These our sponsor would take us on these week long trips. All the coaches that were sponsored by Nike, and uh, and my wife and his wife got to know each other real well. We enjoyed each other. My dad's kind of an old go to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> He's not going to have a beer with the, with Steve, you know, like like I might have done. Right. And uh, but we always had a good relationship. But there's not the before the game. It's usually just small talk, you know. But I think there's there's a lot less animosity than people think. Mm. I think Florida Florida State is a rivalry that's like Ohio State and Michigan. You can't even look like you're having a whole lot to talk about in the middle of the field, even though you might in a private way. Um, you don't even want to look that way because fans don't want to believe that you're even friendly with each other. It's like a Democrat and a Republican yeah, yeah, fraternizing. Yeah. Right. Your base just doesn't want to see that, basically. Right. Yeah, no, no. I got you. Right. <laughs> Especially if they're, if they're on the losing end. You don't want to see, like, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, you know, like, hey, smile. buddy, why don't hey, we go right. out for dinner later? Right. That's, yeah. that's the thing. So yeah. we talked before the break about the over in terms of this matchup. I like the over. We'll go rapid fire. I don't fire. love it. I love it. I do. I think See, it'll be- I, I think this is a 33-30 yeah. yeah. game somewhere uh, in that would, neighborhood, yeah. which would put us over. Right. But I think it'll be a little bit tenuous. I think it could get half. into. Don't don't laugh. I think forties, forties. I do. Okay. I think both offenses are going to be aggressive early on because they're going to want to. Well, I think for two, you want to get him into a rhythm. See how if he's healthy. And number two, I think if you're Trevor Lawrence, you want to get that. Uh, that scare or that nervousness right out of the way. Call plays that give him the ability to just yeah. wing it. And I think that could lead to big plays, could lead to penalties, to pass interference. And I think you're going to have some early opportunities. Both teams traditionally, in all of their ball games, jump up early. So that should lead to the over in this matchup. They both have the ability to score points. And because uh, uh, the other team does, it forces each one of them to pursue each other, continue to pursue each other. You know, if somebody's not playing very well, you can, it, it can die down pretty quick if you're out there and make it a dominant. I don't know that I see 40s, but I definitely see 30s. I, I see this game going that and being an over. Yeah, it would be. Sho- I'd be shocked if it, we're looking in. This is a ball game, twenty-four to seventeen, with about you know three minutes left. And, and that's the thing too. Look at look at last year. In terms of if you're going to uh, wager on this type of total with fifty-nine and a half. You really never out of a uh, a ball game. Look at last year; everything went right for Georgia and Alabama to go under. Game goes to overtime, and then all of a sudden, now you have an over. The game landed on forty nine. It was right around forty six and a half. So I like the over. That's one. That's my best play. But I like Clemson to win the game too. outright. I do too. Uh, that that was that was my as I as I watched the games last weekend. The team that impressed me most of all was Clemson. Uh, I, I I really thought Clemson on both sides of the ball was the most dominant. Alabama was fantastic, and yeah. maybe they could have run away and hid if it was a different type yeah. of a game, different type of an offense. But the defense of Clemson, even without Dexter Lawrence, against a a good, not an elite, but a good a Notre Dame offense. But over the second half of the season, they've gotten better and better and better. And I'm just enamored with this Trevor Lawrence. I, I think he's a once every 10 years, maybe even a once every generation type quarterback. I, I, I think he's yeah. here for three years. I think he's the top overall pick in the NFL draft when he's done. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the way he throws with anticipation, the way he checks down, Again, the poise that he shows in the pocket. Maybe Nick will show him something he hasn't seen. Yeah. Certainly a possibility. I like Clemson to win this game outright. I think we're going to see a true freshman quarterback lead a victory in the national championship game for a second straight year, and it'll be on the right arm of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I think that's the, the the problem I have right now because I coached through the season and didn't watch Trevor each and every game. I can read the articles and I can look at the statistics, but my old coaching habit, my old coaching uh uh, uh, mind says this is a bigger game than the rest of them. It's a little bit different. It comes down to him having a little bit less experience, and, and so I, I see uh, uh, Alabama holding on and winning, the, winning the ball game and, and, and covering the line. Um, but it's because I believe that this is another level that when it comes down to it, it's just a little bit different. And so um, I think the quarterback, to be honest with you, the quarterback, the fact that you've got two. Uh, and you've got a little more experience there. 
I think to me, that'll be the factor. Here's the thing, too, when you look at both national championship games, not the game last year, Alabama was favored by 11 and a half points, but both national championship games prior to this point was six, six and a half point number yeah. for Alabama. And so they were, were close. And yeah. they were close. Uh, Alabama won 45 to 40 the first year, and the last year, uh, two years ago, uh, Clemson won 35 31. So it's been right in that area of five points either way. So I think, I don't think you'll see above seven. I don't think you'll see below five in this matchup, I don't think the spread comes into factor that that much. I think we're going to see about a 10-point win. I think it could be wow. three to seven points either way. We'll get a late field goal. I don't think this game will go to overtime. That's just the way I see it. I think one team will be able to, to pull away in the second half. But you look at some of these prop bets overall. We talked about Clemson. Trevor Lawrence under 22.5 completions. I think it's over. Um, you look at his touchdown passes, too. Uh, I think that's right. If Clemson wins, it's going to be on the arm of Trevor Lawrence. So I would say three. over in that matchup, right? Over. Three TD passes against two. Alabama. No, no two for, him to, for him to get right. the three. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, he could push at two. I, I, I think he gets at least two. Um, had three last weekend. Uh, gun to my head, I would take the over. But that's tough against Alabama. Yeah. But, but again, like what, what we talked about a lot during the show was Alabama sector, secondary vulnerable to the deep ball. They've given up 43 uh, plays of at least 20 yards, uh, which is 73rd nationally. Very uncharacteristic of the Alabama defense. I think you could beat them over the top. One thing I wanted to bring up from a coaching standpoint, uh, Nick is the best, maybe the best of all time, something we can debate. Um, but Dabo in his last nine bowl-slash-playoff games, 7-2 and two outright, 8-1 and one against the spread. So he is getting to a point where he's not in the Nick Saban territory. Be, no, he's getting close, he, though. He can't be because of the national championships. Correct. But in terms of big game, I mean, he's knocked off Ohio State. He's knocked off Oklahoma uh, back in two playoff appearances. Uh, in I that put this Ohio coach, State, LSU. How many more teams can he knock off? In a big game, in a huge spot. I would, take I, I would put him up against... Just about anyone this side too. of Nick Saban as an underdog. You want to give me some points. See, when I looked at this game in terms of personnel, season statistics, I don't think the gap between these two teams is five or six points on a neutral field in Santa Clara. I, I think it's lower. I think it's more like two or three points. I think you're getting a bit of a premium because it's Alabama. And, and Alabama probably deserves that because they've been there and they've done that under this coach so many times. You know, I, I think I think Dabba, though, think about Dabba, he's got to beat Alabama to get in that rarefied, the, the rarefied area that Nick is. Six national championships. Remarkable. I mean, you're talking With about two that. different schools. And, 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 and kind of like uh, Super Bowls and NFL quarterbacks, you have to win it all to be recognized as the greatest. And right now, Nick Saban is right there. And Dabo has got his team right there. They're there. Every, but you gotta, he's got he's to make that win. He's got to make that win unless Nick's getting out. He's got to make that transition to beating this guy here because this guy isn't going anywhere right now. Yeah, it's incredible because you, you think about some of the other coaches that are named as underdogs. We hear Tom Herman, Justin Fuente, Vegas loves them. But what about Matt Campbell? What, Matt Campbell. Yeah. What about Dabo? As an underdog, you, I, I, I want my chips in on all in. All in out of all the coaches, yeah. you know, in terms of the power five right now. That, His that's kids will be ready. Nick's kids will be ready. Yeah. I don't think either team is going to lay an egg yeah. no. on Monday night. I think both it'll will be, be prepared. It'll be a great game. I, I think anything less than a classic, anything less than a well-played game with some spectacular plays that's competitive deep into the second half, for me, would be a disappointment. Yeah. You know, these are these are the two teams that we expect to be here. These are the two teams that have the best athletes, the most NFL-ready athletes. Seeing them line up, I mean, this is why we do what we do. This is why we love what we do. This is the matchup that we've been wanting to see. This is what I want to see. Yeah, a couple of rapid fires uh, props on Tua over, under over 22 and a half uh, completions. Uh, 24 last week in a game in which he needed to. I'd probably take the under. Coach, you think you think the under? I think maybe the under on that one. All right, touchdown passes. He's a tinge high, a tinge higher than two and a half. Two and a half. Uh, wow. I love the kid. I love the kid. I'd have to take take over across the board. You know why? Because if you're taking under, you you can't watch the game. Joe, I can't remember the the last time I saw a kid. 
place passes so consistently yeah. as he's on the mark. Of he has I mean, great his touch accuracy. We saw it really for the first time in the national championship game that drop pass yeah. uh, to Devontae Smith, and then this year, I mean, his that ability was wide open though. His, they broke, that's that was a broke. <laughs> that was a breakdown. So you're covered. saying I could have completed I, that, that pass? I, and, I, and you know, I love rooting for Georgia, but that that game last year, <laughs> I see that guy breaking. First of all, after the sack, they're jumping up and down. If I'm Kirby on the sidelines, that kid doesn't even get on the bus. Line up. I'm sorry. Get over there. I know you can't do that. Obviously, you can't uh, do that in this day and age. But back in the day, you could do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's walking oh, home from Atlanta. Man. I mean, you think two, you think two, uh, two and a half touchdown passes in this ballgame? I, think... I think you go over that. I think, I think he's got to. Yeah, here's interesting in terms of these two guys. Jerry Judy, 74 and a half. He's the t- highest one across the board in terms of complete uh, reception yards. And then Damian Harris, 51 and a half. Which is My only concern about low. any Alabama player is Nick's going to ride the hot hand, and there are other options. Now, if Trayvon Mullen happens to lock down Jerry Judy, who is going to turn his attention to Henry Ruggs? I know. Or Smith, or Jalen Waddle. Well, I don't think we've mentioned Jalen no, Waddle much. He's not on the board. He's yeah. not, not not from what I could see. Henry Ruggs, 49 and a half receiving yards. And you look at you look at Smith, 47 and a half. Irv or Devontae? No, Devonta. Devontae. Devontae. Yeah. Devonta, Devontae. Devonta. I don't know. I don't know. I think he's running on Sundays. The Smith kid will <laughs> he's the Smith kid will know him as. <laughs> but I'm saying I'm saying no, those are low. I mean, for the time, but again, they're I, averaging I, 300 the, passing the, yards per game. The problem I have is there's so many options. If you're telling me that it's one kid, I, I would rather lock in on, on quarterbacks or on an ETN. ETN's yeah. the main guy. I, I would take I, definitely under on him in terms of rush okay. yards. I think that's a, a that's where I but would. But I'd rather make a pick on a kid where he's the main guy yeah. in the offense. I'm worried about Alabama because you have four, five, six yeah. different options. Better so to have I options. don't know what the hot hand's going to be. Better to have options. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you have to have. You, you don't know who's going to have the hot hand. I think there, I think it, it could be one. It'll be one of them. You don't know which one. And I think, and I, I think that actually goes for both teams. I think they both have enough uh, bullets in their gun. That it, you, you, don't, you don't know which one's going to be the guy that gets up or the guy that makes the play. Is there something that you, when they come on the sidelines, you see it in their in their mindset that you see it from the way they're carrying themselves? Maybe he didn't produce so much, but he's into the game more than another guy? Yeah, you get some guys that are locked in pretty good, guys that you can see, get me that ball, get me that ball. They'll give you that look in your eye. you got to respond to whether this it's the right look, but you, you see it uh, quite a few times from players like that. I think mostly you, you make adjustments during the game as to how they're starting to overplay one and play less on the other and the play calling tries to direct it toward that guy that they're taking a little less pressure on this guy to put double pressure on that guy and that's when you try to take advantage of it well i could tell you if this game starts getting close and nick could smell the seventh national championship and something goes a little awry you're gonna see him you're gonna see him lace into somebody the way he did i thought you're gonna say see him go to jalen Oh, Jalen Hurts? Uh, well, I was going to bring that up, too. I think it's all hands on deck. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, you're winning a national championship. Tua, no Tua. In that type of landscape, you go to win the game if he's I not think, producing. I think I think, I think, think it's all Tua. But the one thing I want to point out is um, the fact that Jalen Hurts stuck it out this season and won that SEC title game. Now, Alabama would have been the playoffs anyway. We might have still been talking about this game, but I thought that was the epitome of Alabama. The one thing I see from Alabama, Clemson as well, but really Alabama, a lot of selfless kids. I, I, I don't see it. I'm not close enough to be able to say I'm not in that locker room, but I don't see a lot of ego. And these kids just want championships. That's what they'll be going for Monday. But again, just to wrap it up, I like Clemson. You like Clemson. Coach likes Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Rudy, are Rudy, all on the over. All too. on the over, and mm-hmm. I, I think we're all rooting for a classic as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it should be a dynamic game. For Rich Sermonello, Terry Bowden, I'm Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the game on Monday night. We'll see you next year. <laughs>